I'm Evan Knappen, and welcome to Gun Lawyer. Well, I have some exciting news that I want to share, and that is I won the Mega Millions Lottery on July 26th. That is absolutely true. I was able to pick four out of the five balls and the jackpot ball, and I won $66,000. Now, of course, I'm very happy about that, but the reason I'm talking about it on Gun Lawyer, other than I love bragging about it, is because I won it picking Smith & Wesson revolver models. That's right. I played my favorite Smith & Wesson numbered model revolver numbers, and they paid off. Now, what's interesting here, and what I want to share with you, is the technique that I used to win. I'm going to explain to you what I did, and you can do it too. And it enhances not only, in one regard, your odds of winning, although arguably you could say that would happen no matter what over this method, but I think it's important to understand how that works. And most importantly, it increases the ability to hit the big payoff jackpots, without a doubt. It makes the payoffs, and it is a very cool technique. It's a technique known as wheeled betting, wheeled. And when I brought my tickets in to cash them, some uh, person who had been at the lottery headquarters for many years immediately recognized it and said, oh, you did a wheeled bet. And I said, yep. He goes, boy, we haven't seen one of those in a while. That's great. And let me explain how wheeled betting works. It's really interesting. And if you enjoy you know, occasionally playing the uh, Powerball and the Mega Millions and these other lottery games, especially when the jackpots are sky high. Now, of course, this gun lawyer episode, we will have known the results of the $1.28 billion jackpot. That hasn't been drawn yet, but the last jackpot was uh, the July uh, 26, and that's the one that I hit on using this technique. So let me explain. The wheel betting technique is something that has been used a lot, uh, particularly useful at the track, where individuals that like to bet the trifecta uh, have been known to use this. And as some of you may be aware, the trifecta is essentially where you uh, bet the three winners, essentially, of three horse races. And you get it correct on the first race, you get it correct on the second race, and you nail it on the third race. And if you do that, get all three races right, the payoff is much more substantial than if you had just made individual bets on individual races with all things being equal. I mean, you could always raise bets and everything, but this is the technique. So to understand it first from the trifecta play where is where I thought about this and the wheeled bet technique, and I applied it to the Mega Millions and to other of these games. So let's say 
There's three horse races, each with seven horses running. And your trifecta bet, you're betting on the first race, you're betting horse number one to win. This is just to keep it easy. And on the second race, you're betting horse number two to win. And now what you do is you buy your trifecta ticket and you bet horse number one for the first race, horse number two for the second race, and then horse number one for the third race. You then buy another ticket. And that ticket you bet horse one for the first race, horse two for the second race, and horse two for the third race. And then on the third race, you bet horse one, second horse two, third horse three. And what you do is you buy all seven horses as the winner of the third race. So you're buying seven trifecta tickets, but each ticket has the third winner a different horse. And what that means is that if you're right in picking horse one and horse two, then you're guaranteed the trifecta because you've played all seven. And what's cool about this technique is when you apply it to the lottery and to these Mega Ball and Powerball type deals, which is what I did, you can see what happens to the odds and how you play it. So let's take a look at the Mega Millions. The Mega Millions play board on the betting slip is 70 numbers in the first panel. And you have to pick five numbers out of 70 that you like. And then in the second panel on, the, on this single bet, you pick a, the jackpot ball or the mega ball. And that is 1 to 25. So what you do here is pick your five favorite numbers. And in my case, it was Smith & Wesson revolver model numbers in which I played model 27 and 29. Of course, 27 being the premier 357 Magnum of the day that came and evolved from the ultimate Magnum known as the registered Magnum. I played the 29, which is the classic Dirty Harry gun, right? The 44 Magnum, 29. I played the Model 60, the classic stainless J-frame snub nose 38. I played 63, which is one of my favorite 22 kit gun in stainless, and they're just a 22 wonderful plinker shooter, 22 revolver that I've had many pleasurable hours shooting. And finally, the 66, the 357 uh, in stainless in the Model 66. And my five numbers, I played those five numbers 25 times. And I purchased each jackpot ball for each of those bets so that I had 25 tickets all with the same five numbers, but each with a different jackpot ball. Now let me explain the advantage here. Because if you look at the odds 
which is right on the back of the ticket. You can see these for yourself. If you look at the odds, you'll see that the odds of hitting five balls and the mega ball is 302 million to one. Basically, 302 million to one, which is extremely long odds to hit five balls and a mega ball. But to hit five balls, just to hit the five correct but miss the mega ball, well, that's one in 12 million. So by making the bet the way I said, you've reduced your odds from one in 302 million to one in 12 million. Now, granted, 12 million is still quite a long shot, but nowhere near as long a shot as 302 million is. But then if you go down, you see the same principle apply to four balls and mega ball. If you hit four balls and mega ball, the payout is $10,000, and that is one in 931,000. The odds are one in 931,000. But to just get four balls without the mega ball, it's one to 38,000. That's right, one to 38. I'm rounding these numbers off, but one to 38,000. So the difference is essentially one in 900,000 versus one to 38,000. And then uh, you see how covering the entire field of the jackpot ball, or essentially the third race, that's your wheeled bet. And so what happened is I hit four out of the five drawn numbers. The only one that missed was 27, unfortunately, which came up a seven. Ugh. Still had the seven in it, but it didn't have the two in front of it, darn it. Uh, otherwise, we'd be having even a, a, a different conversation right now. We would not be having any conversation right now, a matter of fact, if I had hit that. But uh, the 27, unfortunately, didn't come up, but I'm not complaining. We hit the four, and because I had four and the Mega Ball, I got the four Mega Ball jackpot prize. Now, in addition to this, I purchased this, what is called the Mega Plier. It's a Mega Plier. And if you mark the Mega Plier, you spend an extra dollar per bet. They're $2 bets, and the Mega Plier is an extra buck, so it makes it 3 bucks. And what the Mega Plier does is there's a separate ball that gets drawn that determines the, the amount of the jackpot. Now, it doesn't include the super jackpot, the ultimate jackpot, but if you hit the Mega Plier, then what happens is it is increased by a multiple of whatever that ball comes up with. And on my play, the Mega Plier ball came up three. So that meant that the jackpots were worth three times their base value. So the way it calculated out is by making the play that I did, the grand total that I spent to do it at $3 per play for 25 plays, the grand total I spent was $75 on this 
bet, and it paid off as follows. The four ball plus the mega ball was 10,000 times three, which was 30,000 just on that ball. And then the other 24 plays that I had all were five ball hits. And that they normally pay 500, but because of the mega plier, they paid 1500, and that was 36,000 on the 24 other draws. So the grand total of winning was 66,000 by doing and hitting on a wheeled bet. So if any of you enjoy playing these games, of course, don't go crazy doing this, but a little bit of fun is always there for a dream. And look, I'm living proof that this can work because it did. Um, like I said, it would have been nice if it was one more ball. But again, 66000 makes for a real exciting experience. And then when you hit anything over the $600, you have to go to the headquarters to cash it. And that was an interesting experience. And uh, they were very great, excellent folks there at the Lottery Commission. Uh, and that day, within, you know, 40 minutes or so, after doing some of the paperwork, they hand you the check. And so this is just some interesting uh, experiences that yours truly has had. Uh, if you want to try out the technique, I wish you the best of luck. And look, if you hit that mega jackpot because you did a wheeled bet, Remember your pal Evan here, okay? Send him a million bucks as appreciation when you hit that billion dollars, you know? You know, just say, hey, thanks for mentioning how to do that. I'd, I'd appreciate it. I'll mention you on the show if you do that. How's that? So, anyway, this is the deal. And, folks, when we come back uh, right up the break, I have some really interesting letters and an update as to who the traders are who the Republican traders were that passed and made possible the passage of the federal assault weapon ban in the House. We'll be talking about all that and more. See you in a bit. For over 30 years, attorney Evan Knappen has seen what rotten laws do to good people. That's why he's dedicated his life to fighting for the rights of America's gun owners. A fearsome courtroom litigator fighting for rights, justice, and freedom. An unrelenting gun rights spokesman tearing away at anti-gun propaganda to expose the truth. Author of six best-selling books on gun rights, including Knappen on Gun Law. A bright orange gun law Bible that sits atop the desk of virtually every lawyer, police chief, firearms dealer, and savvy gun owner. That's what made Evan Knappen America's gun lawyer. Gun laws are designed to make you a criminal. Don't become the innocent victim of a vicious anti-gun legal system. This is the guy you want on your side. 
Keep his name and number in your wallet and hope you never have to use it. But if you live, work, or travel with a firearm, the deck is already stacked against you. You can find him on the web at evannappen.com or follow the link on the Gun Lawyer resource page. Evan Knappen, America's Gun Lawyer. You're listening to Gun Lawyer with attorney Evan Knappen. Available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am a lawyer. I am a lawyer. Hey, welcome back to Gun Lawyer, where you can learn how your Smith & Wesson model guns can make you money, and you can also get great information on the latest going on in the right to keep and bear arms and the gun culture and the Second Amendment lifestyle. And I do have here, uh, you may have heard the House passed the so-called assault weapon ban. It wasn't enough that we had one of these, and by the government's own study, it was proven to be useless, their own study. But that doesn't stop Democrats and traitorous Republicans from passing the bill again. I mean, isn't that the very definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So this is really disgusting, especially in the light of the Bruin decision, which makes it clear that the very thing they're voting on is unconstitutional, would be found unconstitutional. So anyone who voted for this is just blatantly violating their oath to uphold the Constitution. And it is nothing short of disgusting. But what really is disgusting is when you see folks vote for it who betray their party and their principles in doing so. These people are not brave. They're not brave. They're traitors. Unless you think traitors are brave. They're traitors to the Constitution. They're traitors to what we believe in. They're traitors to our right to keep and bear arms. And it is disgusting when they do this. Yet, they do it. And who are the Republicans that voted for this? And let me make something clear. It was two Republicans. And if these two Republicans did not vote for banning our rights to have our semi-automatic firearms, this wouldn't have passed. So despite... It was strictly due to these rhinos doing this. Because believe it or not, there were five Democrats that voted against it. That's right. I'm not kidding. Five Democrats voted against it. And if these two rhinos did not uh, cast their vote against the Second Amendment, then it would not have passed the House. So who are the Republicans that stabbed us in the back? One is Representative Brian Fitzgerald of Pennsylvania. And the other is Chris Jacobs of New York. These two Republicans joined with all the Democrats except five to go against you and me and what we believe in and against, essentially, the platform of the Republican Party. Yet, five Democrats, and they deserve credit, 
five Democrats voted against it. And as much as we can't stand the Republicans that voted for it, I think we need to give credit to the Democrats, at least the five of them, that voted against it. And they were Henry Kular of Texas, Jared Golden of Maine, Vincente Gonzalez of Texas, Ron Kind of Wisconsin, and Kurt Schrader of Oregon. They all voted no and voted to defend the Second Amendment. And I thank them and congratulate them for doing the right thing. So this is what we have to keep in mind. Now, of course, the bill passing the House does not mean that it's going to pass the Senate. I think the odds of it passing the Senate are extremely remote, but we have to be vigilant, and that's because in the Senate, with the filibuster where 60 votes are needed uh, to overcome and get cloture, uh, I think it's highly unlikely that they're going to get 60 votes in the Senate. So this bill should hopefully never get to Brandon's desk because he would sign it uh, very quickly as his puppet masters direct his hand to do so. So we're confident, though, that the Senate can hold the line for us, but we have to remain uh, vigilant. But there is one very good thing about them doing this in the House, and that is anytime they pass any kind of ban like this, gun sales skyrocket. So gun sales should really take off and give a nice boost to all the gun dealers that sell semi-automatic rifles and magazines. And that will mean a lot more of these will sell and be out there in civilian hands as the bill dies in the Senate, yet encourages so many more people to go out and get their semi-auto. So there is that silver lining to consider, and that always makes me smile, and I hope it makes you smile as well. And come November, when the red wave hits and the House is secured in a majority of Republicans who support our Second Amendment rights and Constitution. Uh, hopefully this kind of stuff will be uh, just put to bed and no longer the emergent threat that Democrats in the majority make it today. Now I've received some interesting letters and I always love to get the letters. So let me read you some of these great letters. And this is uh, from, I'll just say his name is Harry. And Harry says, um, regarding magazine compliance. Now, this is in New Jersey, but it says, hello, I have magazines that are blocked by the previous owner of one of my guns. The mag has a 17-round body and markings. The mags are blocked at 10 rounds and epoxied. Gun shops say these magazines are illegal, and any round marking above 10 has to be permanently defaced. Is this true? What's the process to block mags and make them compliant? I have a friend in PA who would block mags for me. Okay, here's the deal, folks. First of all, magazines that are permanently blocked 
to hold no more than 10 rounds are Jersey legal. But it has to be a permanent block, not a temporary block. Now, the fact that his mags were blocked with epoxy, now I haven't examined them, I haven't looked at them, but normally an epoxy block that stops the magazine from exceeding 10 is normally pretty damn permanent because it's epoxy, and that's pretty strong. Now, what some folks do, they'll, they'll pin an epoxy or do other techniques, but the bottom line is it has to be permanent. If they're readily restorable, then you could have trouble. But if they're permanently blocked, then they are okay. And dealers and gunsmiths uh, routinely permanently block mags to be compliant in New Jersey, and it is acceptable. The interesting thing in this letter is this idea that the bodies can't have markings. Uh, they, I, the, 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 the claim that magazines can't be marked as holding more when in fact they don't hold more than 10 and it's simply markings on the magazine does that make it illegal well the legal the, the legal term for that the term found in law for that idea is called uh, bullshit okay that's what it's called it doesn't matter what the magazine says okay it's what it does Okay, magazines haven't got, you know, woke where they can identify as a 17-round mag when, in fact, they're 10. They haven't extended woke ideology yet to, to magazine identity. Okay, no, no, no. It's not how it works. It's what it actually is. It's still fact-based and not based on what it simply says. So it doesn't matter what it's marked. And a matter of fact, if a magazine is part of a gun which it arguably is, and if you are removing markings, then arguably that's illegal to remove the markings because that's defacing a firearm. Removing markings, not just serial numbers, but other markings all come under the possibility of being charged with a defaced firearm. So you absolutely do not want to remove the markings Doing so might arguably be illegal and a crime in and of itself of defacing the mags, but you have to make sure your mags are permanently blocked to not hold more than 10. Now, in terms of the mag issue overall, your best bet is just to have factory 10-round mags. If you have factory 10-round mags, you don't have to worry. There's no question. And even more significant we're talking about magazines is that's one of the cases as we discussed in previous episodes that were GVR'd by the U.S. Supreme Court the New Jersey constitutional challenge to the Murphy magazine ban certification was granted by the United States Supreme Court the judgment was vacated in our favor by the United States Supreme Court and remanded back for further action and that is going on as we speak and I am extremely optimistic that the New Jersey magazine ban will be declared unconstitutional now granted it hasn't happened yet and it may take even longer than we anticipate but we are in the game strong extremely strong on seeing the death and demise of the idiotic standard capacity magazine ban that has been 
made law in New Jersey and put in place without any grandfathering and making possession of a mag over 10 rounds a felony level offense where you face eight up to 18 months in state's prison. Just outrageous, draconian, and insane. And hopefully we'll be seeing the end of that. Now I have another question here. This is from Bill. And Bill says, hi, Evan. Under NGS 2C58-5, a person can buy an, quote, assault firearm, end quote, if you meet the requirements, when I get my New Jersey permit to carry a handgun, permit to carry and handgun, I still need to, quote, no license shall be issued unless the court finds that the public safety and welfare so require. Does Bruin address public health, safety, welfare so require requirement? <clears throat> and this is an interesting question. One of the interesting outcomes of Bruin is, of course, making carry finally a reality for New Jerseyans because justifiable need is no longer valid. But in order to get a assault firearm license, New Jersey has under 58.5 what is called a license to possess and carry assault firearms and machine guns. They put them all in the same law. And that law required, amongst other things, that before you, a person could get such a license, they first had to qualify to get a permit to carry. And, of course, all the legislators snickering to themselves, knowing that getting a permit to carry was basically impossible anyway. And then they added that if you can do that, then you have to show that the court will somehow find that the public safety and welfare require you to have this license. Well, let me just say, that standard is even more outrageous than the justifiable needs standard that the court invalidated. So frankly, the ability to apply and get an assault firearm carry and possess license is absolutely within the realm here of possibility. And if individuals, after they get their carry license, apply to get it, and they try to say that this requirement applies, then you challenge the constitutionality of that, and I don't see how under Bruin such an extreme and insane standard where the public safety and welfare has to require you to have this can in any way be uh, sustained. But time will tell, and I'm sure there'll be cases challenging it, but the answer is, yeah, the entire gun law, its foundation, everything now is up for challenge, and the assault firearm license itself and that standard is ripe to challenge. And anyone that takes that on, I would greatly look forward to seeing that outcome. Well... I want to thank all of you for being dedicated listeners. Please make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe to Gun Lawyer. It's available anywhere you can get a podcast. We're out there and easy to access and free. Let's help people to learn and protect themselves. 
This is Evan Knappen reminding you that gun laws don't protect honest citizens from criminals. They protect criminals from honest citizens. Gun Lawyer is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Reach us by emailing evan at gun.lawyer. The information and opinions in this broadcast do not constitute legal advice. Consult a licensed attorney in your state.